0: There is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are, and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward-thinking investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and and I hope you enjoy. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors. Where we talk to investors about all things portfolio construction, investing, and just uh, just jamming on in investing. Today, we have David Paul here on the podcast, who's the founder and solo GP at DWP Capital. David, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Hey, Matt. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. Let me come on.
0: Yeah, hundred percent excited to uh, excited to have you on. It's cool as we were talking about before we started recording. I think you're the first local investor that I've had on the investor podcast after like twenty five investors. So I'm um, I'm excited to show everyone a little bit of that desert desert DNA here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm a rep- good representation, but you know I'll do my best.
0: Well, that's well, I think that's good, right? I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> we both have all, lots of opinions on all things Arizona, um, but like I think like in my opinion, the thing, the people I love to interview on the podcast are the ones that just like do their own thing. And they, you know, may, they kind of carve their own path. And that's what leads to the most interesting conversation. So we'll, we'll kind of get into it. But I think to start, tell us just high level, you know, DWP Capital, you know, super high level, what do you like investing in? You know, just like give us an overview of the firm, what you like investing. In, and then we'll kind of like go, uh, go a little deeper into uh, how you got into all of this.
1: Yeah, so we like to um, lead rounds in companies that are generally B2B vertical SaaS or tech-enabled service companies. So, you know, companies that are really uh, sharp and keen on focusing on a certain market segment or a certain vertical and solving a very niche problem, you know, that would, you know, conclude that, you know, some of these markets might be smaller than a traditional venture capital type market. But uh, we feel that the riches are in the niches. And we try to build, you know, bigger companies in small markets and be able to kind of gain, you know, really good market share and create EV that way.
0: Straight up. So it sounds like obviously you have a very, like, you know, specific thesis here. So I kind of want to go back now, now that we know where you're at. How'd you get into investing? Do you mind sharing like your path of how you landed on DWP Capital? Is this your, you know, I obviously know, but just so for people that don't know, like, is this your, you know, your first time investing or how'd you kind of like get yourself into a situation when you were uh, being a GP at this fund?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, DWP Capital is my initials because I'm super creative like that. Um, but I got into uh, investing. I've been doing this early stage stuff for about seven or eight years now. I got into it uh, via nepotism. I have an older brother that's a venture capital private equity guy. I was a CEO of a healthcare services company in Florida that I sold. You know, I was probably the worst operator on the planet, but, you know, I was able to build something and sell it. And, you know, so I've got, you know, a little bit of... um, operational experience, I think compared to like a real tech founder, but, you know, uh, probably done everything wrong in the book. And then when I figured out what I wanted to do after that, I asked uh, my brother Andy where I should go. And he recommended that I go work for a fund here in Phoenix called Tall Wave Capital, where I jumped in and started as kind of an unpaid intern. So I went from CEO to unpaid intern, worked there for about a year and a half. And then I got pulled into um, running the portfolio and new deals for kind of a multifamily office here in Phoenix called Canal Partners, in which I worked there for, you know, about four or five years.
0: Cool. So you have this investing experience, then you decided to go ahead and start DWP Capital. At what point did you decide that you wanted to be your own firm? And is it different from being in someone else's firm, I guess, what, what are the similarities and differences between investing in someone else's capital, you know, in another person's firm versus starting your own firm, raising your own capital? Are there a lot of differences? Or is it still, is it still kind of similar?
1: Yeah, no, I, I uh, there were a lot of like, unforeseen differences. Um, I thought that you know, the deal flow and the investors would all of a sudden all follow me, right? Uh, That didn't necessarily happen. You know, I got a portion of that, but not nearly as much as I forecasted that was going to happen. Um, In addition, um, going out and doing the work and actually making the investment decision was a lot harder to do on my own because at the end of the day, I was the junior partner vice president, whatever at the firm. At the end of the day, I had two managing directors that had really the lightning rod and the ultimate say in the decision. So, you know, like I couldn't, I mean, like making the actual like investment decision in my own firm is a totally different dynamic because I actually have to sell it and have a lot of conviction onto it.
0: And now that you have your own firm, how do you decide to invest in one company versus another? Like obviously you have your thesis, but I'm sure you see lots of deals and your kind of job is to say no to most of them, right? You can't invest into everyone. So are there attributes of startups or attributes of founders that you look for when you're deciding to actually deploy capital versus them maybe not being ready for your capital yet?
1: Yeah. So I like them to be far enough along to have like relatively good signal on product market fit. Um, you know, and I, I kind of have like a no KO policy, right? Like I want a business that really doesn't have like a one shot knockout capability, right? And that can severe, you know, can weather like harder times, you know, management missteps that happen because that's naturally happens when you have an early stage company. Um, and you, you know, you you do that, and you mitigate those risks with companies that have relatively moderate cash burn. Uh, companies that have good contract values that are providing demonstrable ROI that, you know, um, that, you know, you can count on that recurring revenue. And, um, and honestly, like the alt and the ultimate heuristic for me is, is like, if I feel like the bones coming out of my body that I want to do this deal, that's a really good indicator too, because I lead with probably one of the biggest checks. So, you know, at this, there's, I don't do a deal just to do a deal because I usually have upwards of like a quarter million bucks in these things myself. So, you know, it's one of those kind of things too. Like, do I really think that this is a really good opportunity?
0: Totally. And I'm curious, does your decision on is something a good opportunity to change at all with the changing of the macro economic climate? Obviously, things have changed a lot in the last year and a half, two years. For you, do you, does your day to day change based on the markets being kind of going, you know, down into the right versus up into the right, or is it? Pretty, are you pretty consistently doing the same thing every day? How does that impact you as a GP?
1: It impacts me more in the fact that like I, I need to be a little bit more cognizant of like who is going to be interested in this in this company downstream. Whereas if you were any SaaS business, um, I think that you would get funded um, in the last two years. Whereas now, I think people are really looking at who's going to be buying this stuff, you know, what's going to be an acquisition, what's going to have a really good multiple versus, you know, kind of an aqua hire So I feel like people, you know, I'm more or less like the other, you know, I would think, oh, I could just always sell this business to private equity. Well, I don't necessarily think that might necessarily be the case, depending on how deep the value is of, of these softwares.
0: Absolutely, and then you know, as I alluded to, which you may may or may not be excited about, but like you know, we're both in Arizona, right? I, I've grown to love Arizona over time, although it's taken me a little bit. I think there's a lot of opportunity here for you. Do you what 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 do you like or dislike about operating in Arizona? Does this, you think it gives you an edge at all being outside of a major tech hub like San Francisco or Miami? Or just tell us a little bit about operating out of Phoenix, which is like a non-tier one tech hub.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know the difference, to be quite honest, because I've only operated out of this. You know, I've collaborated with firms um, on the coasts. Part of me is very envious of of them. Right. Because the people seem smarter. The capital seems more bountiful. Um, however, you know, there is something to um, to like, you know, lifestyle that I think is really great here to live. Um But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know what it's like to work 12 hour days, six days a week, because I've never really had to do that. But um, like, you know, other people in other cities.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think the thing I like about Arizona is at least for me on the founder side of the table, is that I can observe what's going on in those other cities and like, you know, look at actions and do the same types of things here in Arizona, but I don't actually have the issue of the like the brain the brain drain. Like you know, I feel like it's very much a group think in those big tech hubs where you know you do what all the leaders say to do. But in Arizona, like it's kind of a free for all, so you can kind of learn to think for yourself. Which I think I, that's I, right.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. There's there's less consensus to jump on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that's a better combination for a founder, but probably harder for an investor, right? Would you say that's like would you say that's true, or do you like that it's not as consensus driven? So you can do your own thing as an investor. I
1: like that it's not consensus driven because I think it would be harder to find opportunities that are reasonable. I mean, think if everybody like had this bandwagon, you know, kind of mentality. Um, it would be it would be like a, a major city, in which case, you know, I mean it's 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 very much kind of like, you know, how much capital can we pump into these things and like can they grow into their into their valuation and you know, that's just, that's just a model I've never, ever gotten comfortable with. Um, So, you know, I feel like, you know, I kind of like a little bit of scarcity on the capital side because it forces cap, you know, founders to actually like, you know, really deliver value.
0: Totally. What have you learned in the last, you said seven or eight years uh, being in investing? What have you learned that you didn't know in year one that you now know in year eight or nine?
1: Yeah. Don't ever um, count on relationship deals working. Right. And so I always tell people that to begin with it, anyone who's in the investing group is that everyone's pushing their book on each other. Right. And, you know, everyone thinks that oh, this person was smart, you know, they've had an exit, blah, 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 blah. You know um, the bottom line is, is uh, you do not know the motivation of somebody who's pushing their book onto you. So you have to do your own work 100%.
0: Can you define that? You, you kind of alluded to it, but I, I just want to make sure I understand what do you, what is a relationship deal and what, what other types of deals are there? Just, I haven't, I haven't heard that word before.
1: Yeah. So a relationship deal is a deal that you're putting money into because you feel like you're going to get more value out of the relationship with the person that you're doing the deal with than the actual outcome of the deal itself.
0: Got it. Got it. Versus like just a traditional here's money. now, 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 get a huge exit. So we can get a multiple, I mean, that's more of like a business deal, a standard, a, a standard. Yeah. Right. right
1: yeah. Exactly. Like let will say, let's say for instance, like um, I'm co-invested with a, with a VC and then, and a deal and everything's going great. And then that, that same VC shows me a deal within their own portfolio. If it's an extension round and I'm like, okay, this is a, a chance for me to, you know, uh, extend my network, do a deal with these guys who, you know, appear very smart. They were in different deals that did really well you know, and then at the end of the day though, like, I mean, that's not a real good reason to underrate a deal is because you're hoping that there's going to be a lot more uh, relationship capital being, um, being optimized than actually ever has occurred to me. Right. Like I've never really had like every deal that I've done like that just has been pretty disappointing.
0: And without giving away any of your like, you know, secrets, obviously as a venture capitalist, you do need to meet other investors and build relationships. So I'm curious, like how, you know, What are the best ways that you expand your own network in regards to LPs, in regards to co-investors, in regards to just like getting people to, to share deals with so you can get, you know, an idea of if, if your calibration is right? How do you expand your network as an investor?
1: Yeah, so um, generally, like I lead, so getting co-investors isn't terribly difficult um, because usually they, they like they underwrite my diligence. Um but to kind of get that goodwill going, right, because I'm a I'm a small fish, you know, in, in a great big scheme of a lot smarter and more accomplished people in the investor world, um, I do things kind of in a, a rhythmically approach, a rhythmic approach. Like, you know, I sent out quarterly newsletters with my findings and like the deals that were good, but I passed on because they weren't like super myopic in my, in my thing. So, you know, I've got a really regular cadence on how I kind of communicate with people. Um, I find... What I found this last quarter, though, actually, is that like, you know, DWP Capital is going to be mostly an outbound shop um, and going into the next year. Like, we are going to be banging phones and not doing a lot of the syndicate, like, you know, talking to other investors to see if I can get allocation. For the pre, re- re- from the previous reason, is like, why are they showing me this? They're showing it to everybody else, right? They're optimizing for valuation. So, what is like, what is the real incentive here? And there's kind of a misalignment of incentive.
0: This is why uh, for my own company, I decided Seed Scout wasn't going to be in the venture game. We we're going to be strictly in like the SaaS, like software, you know, no no equity game because everyone, like you said, everyone has, well, I don't know if you said this, but you alluded to just like everyone has an incentive and like, you know, you, you don't exactly know, you know, what that incentive is when they share the deal with you. So I, I, I love that. Um, is there?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I want to sell a company, like, I mean, all my deals are deal by deal. So if I get into a company at a $10 million valuation and I sell it for a $50 million valuation, and I return 5X to an investor in four to five years, I'm a fucking hero. Right. Like, whereas that would not be successful in a traditional venture type outcome. Right. So, like, it's, I don't really match well. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, you know, so with, with like the general community.
0: Well, I think that, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I, I think that the, Speaking of consensus views, like I think the portfolio construction and what's counted as success in VC. Is like I think a little skewed just based on what like you know someone said 20 years ago in a book about you know the power law. obviously the power law totally exists in venture capital but like, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I guess that's another thing that I'll ask you is well, like, an additional question. is there anything else that you've learned over the last five six seven years outside of don't do relationship deals that you'd want to share that you, that you that your former self didn't know?
1: Uh, yeah, markups don't really mean anything. It's really how much dollars you've returned. So you know, looking why, why of,
0: what, and, and for people listening, I know what a markup is, but some people listening may not. What is a markup? Uh, yeah, for, no,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So you know, yeah. if I'm looking at if I'm looking at a deal and I'm in the you know in the illiquid private markets, and another investor comes in on top of mine and increases the valuation, I can mark up my book, right? Meaning that my performance hypothetically has gone up. The issue is is that these 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 investments are illiquid, right? And in the venture capital game we are pushing the, the, the valuations forward because we're betting on growth. So generally speaking, these valuations are much more than what these actually things could sell for at, at that given point in time. So when you see you know, funds that are going out and raising and they're showing a TVPI, which is total value paid in of like five to seven X, I feel like that's a pretty inflated number, right? Based on kind of market dynamics. And now the market's completely changed, right? I you know, like it's Q3 of 2022. And you know, I, I doubt that those investors are marking down their books. <laughs> you know, they marked them up. I don't think they're marking them down. But I think at the end of the day, it's really how much capital, have you put back into people's pockets that matter?
0: I love that. And then I think for one of my last questions is, if there is a founder out there that you know is in your thesis, you know that you know, might want to work with you. What's the best way for someone to learn more about DWP Capital and find you if they think they're a good fit for your fund?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So we have a website, dwpcapital.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. So just reach out to me. If you'd mention the podcast, that would be great. Um, just so I can, you know, I sift through it and I can be able to identify that and I'll set up a call. Love to talk to you about what you're doing.
0: All right, David, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Lots of insight and a little amount of time. I appreciate you coming on and best of luck finding the next unicorn.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: Bye.